good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. That'll get you right straight to the top of the line, and we'll try to get you an answer as quick as we can. That's right, and you put a 225 in front of that. That'll get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States, and we would sure like to hear from you this morning. That's right. If you call from outside of the Baton Rouge calling area, just give the producer your name, your address, and, of course, your size preference, and we'll get an Agco t-shirt, USPS, out to you. That's right. First thing Monday morning. You got it. <laughs> there we go. And I see we've already got a call on hold. There, there we go. go. I'll get out sooner or later. <laughs> we got Joe in line. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I called you last week about my envoy, the lights going yes, out. Sir. I was mm-hmm. on my way to North Carolina. I remember. Right. Okay. Well, I was on my way to Houston yesterday to see my son. You get around, Joe. (laughs) What did it do, Joe? It just—I noticed it when I was driving. It looked like it was kind of sticking, you know, Uh like at sixty-five. Then it went to zero, Mm -hmm. then it stuck at ten. Yeah, that's probably a different problem altogether, Joe. The instrument panel clusters in those things go out constantly. If you've got less than seventy thousand miles on it, you could attempt to try to get it covered under warranty. They actually recalled that on the Silverados and the Tahoes and all that. It's really yours doesn't fall under the recall, but it is the same exact stepper motor. So if you got less than 70,000 miles, you might just check with GM and see if they'll cover it on that recall. It's just a piece of junk stepper motor to use in those IPCs. And they go out constantly. The speedometer usually goes out first because it moves the most, but the tackle go out, the, no, the all gauge right. go out, temperature gauge, they'll all go out. And you have to replace the instrument panel cluster to fix the problem. Now, if they won't cover it, we can do that for you, or a lot of places can. You have to get another instrument cluster, and you can't really do it yourself because it has to be programmed to the car. So unless you got GM software to reprogram it, what will happen? You put it in, it'll crank up, you think you're home free. You drive it 20 miles, it'll shut down, and it's ruined. you got to buy another one. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so, how much are we talking here? It's probably? a bunch. It's a whole bunch. And it's not much labor involved. Less than an hour to change it out and about a half hour to program it. But they charge different prices for different ones. But they can be up to about 700 bucks for an instrument cluster. Some of them are as you low can, as you 300 can, You can do it, though. Yeah, so I can do the whole deal. Okay, well, when I get back, I may bring it in and let you check it out. That's just a shame. They really should have recalled every single one of them because they all use that same junk stepper motor. They just, for whatever reason... Well, you know, being, being what they are, they oh, yeah. just do the least amount they can get by with. <laughs> that's right. That's been that's my exactly. experience with yeah. them, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. All right, Joe. Okay. Thanks, Thanks. Carl, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Had a fellow last week says, y'all don't give out that phone number enough. Really? I said, I thought I gave it out quite a bit. I did, too. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to try to give it out a little bit more. That'll work. He said, yeah, I was sitting there trying to call. You never did give a number. Well, that, well, that won't happen no more. Yeah, that's right. I'll say it every, every, every unit, every out. You there know? you go. Because <laughs> we sure like getting calls. We like hearing from you. If you call in from the Baton Rouge area, of course, the majority of our calls call uh-huh. come from local folks just because they know we've been on the air for 22 20, plus that's years. That's right. But you call from outside of the area, it gives us a good little perspective, what you're yeah. thinking about and well, things are different in different parts of the country. That's right. Well, folks have different kinds of problems outside of the area a lot exactly. of times. A lot of times, a severe cold and stuff will bring on problems that we don't really see too, too much down here. Right. You're not going to get too many 20 degree below zero days here in South Louisiana. Let's see if we can go back to our phone lines. We've got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a 2004 Chevy Blazer. Mm-hmm. And just lately, the beginning of this week, it started bogging down on the interstate. 
Now it won't get, the RPMs won't get above uh, maybe 2,500, mm-hmm. and I can't get above maybe 35, 40 miles an hour. Yeah, John, a lot of times, let me give you a couple of scenarios. There's, there's four or five things that can cause that. Does the I motor change to most of them? Yeah, the motor feels like it's kind of like it's straining, like it's trying to go, but it just can't. Well, it wants to, like it's clogged. It's not yeah. Enough. You hit on the good word. I tell you what, I see a lot that causes that is a plugged up catalytic converter. That's and what, I was thinking. what you can notice with that is that when you first take off, it may be fine, uh-huh. but the further you drive, the worse it'll get. Because the back pressure starts to build, and it builds up over a little period of time. Now, you may not have to drive 40 miles. You take off, it may go just fine for the first mile or so, and then it starts to get a little worse. Well, by 10 miles, it's very, very, very noticeable. Pretty easy to check, John. What we do is we take out one of the oxygen sensors, screw a little adapter in there, and we've got a gauge we can put on it. We can measure the back pressure. And at an idle, that back pressure ought to be below about a pound or so. Right. At about 2,000 RPM, it may go up as high as two or three pounds. But if you got a plug cap, it's probably going to jump up to 10 to 15 pounds. And what happens is the exhaust can't go out, so it backs up. Now, incredibly important, if that's the problem, to get this done right away. Because that exhaust gas is now backing up into the engine. It starts backing up in the intake manifold. And the intake manifold is made out of plastic. It will melt the intake manifold. It will knock out the MAP sensor. It will knock out the O2 sensors. It will cause a huge, huge amount of further damage if you try to keep driving it. You know, I just changed the MAP sensor. Oh, that yeah. It, it was probably bad. <laughs> right. It changed a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, it was probably all bad because, see, that red-hot exhaust gas is now backing up where it shouldn't be. So the temperature of the intake, which is supposed to be under hood temperature, maybe 100 degrees at worst, is now probably 200 degrees. So now, it's going to start I've taking noticed, stuff out. I've noticed that, too. The exhaust coming out the tailpipe mm-hmm. seems a lot hotter than normal. Yeah, which, it's going to cause you a whole lot of grief. You're not going to be able to keep driving like that. Oh, I can't drive it now. Yeah, right. and probably shouldn't have drove it even this far, but it'll even blow the head gasket on the engine pretty quick. That's the next step. So it'll destroy the car if that's the case. Now, one other thing that does also cause that problem, and that's low fuel pressure, and you'd have to have a fuel pressure gauge to test for that. If the fuel pressure drops, it'll give you almost exactly the same scenario, except that it won't feel like it's straining as much. It'll be more like it's just dying down, like it just has no power. But so that, that's it, a real it, easy check. You just screw a fuel gauge pressure into gauge it. into it, and you can watch the fuel pressure when the problem's right. occurring and decide right then. Yeah, both of know. them feel an awful lot alike, but you can do a couple of real easy tests and tell which is which. All right, y'all open today? No, no not sir. at all. No, not at all. <laughs> you could tow that over Monday morning, though, and we'll get it looked at for you. All right. All right, John. Well, I appreciate y'all. Thanks for calling, man. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And going back to our lives, we've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Yes, sir. I uh, got an 03 Camry. Uh-huh. A brake question. Y'all actually did the brake job uh, probably back in June. Okay. But anyway. Not really having any problems with normal operation, but I've noticed something that's happened once or twice. Okay. Going downtown underneath where you jump on the interstate there, mm-hmm. and I had to stop a little bit harder than normal. Mm-hmm. Wasn't necessarily didn't lock the brakes up or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you know I just had to hit them so I didn't bump into somebody from behind. Right. And about the time that I hit the pedal, I hit some sort of imperfection in the road, maybe yes, a little pothole or something. Mm-hmm. And this has also happened on a wet surface before. Mm-hmm. I hit it, and the brakes kind of compress more than normal yeah. and has more, more yeah. like a... Yeah, that's perfectly normal, Greg. Springy it's, type. 
Yeah, what it's right. doing is going into anti-lock brake mode. Okay. And so what's going to happen, the pedal's going to drop some. It may start to vibrate or pulsate, and you may there even you hear go. a noise of okay. a, a pump okay. run. Yeah, that's perfectly right. normal. When and one wheel locks up, it's going to automatically go to anti-lock function. So it's going to start to pulse that brake to keep it from locking the wheel. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought I was hearing something, but then again, I wasn't sure. If yeah, I was there's a pump that you may hear run. That's the way it's supposed to operate. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. <laughs> so it means it's good. If it didn't yeah. do that, you'd have a problem. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. All right, Greg. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. That is a situation probably most people have never felt a car go into any lock function. Correct. Or very, very seldom few. do they feel it. So. When it goes in for the first time, you're going to be alarmed because the pedal is going to drop. It's going to start to pulse. There may be some noise involved. I've always thought that they should almost put like a little button or something on the dash you could push to make it go to anti-lock so you could see what it was like when you're driving. You know, <laughs> hey, this is what this is going to feel like. Right. But there's not. So you got to kind of be ready for it because it generally happens in a sort of a panic situation. You're hitting the brakes. You're on something slick. And all of a sudden, all this gyrations go on. But that is the way the car operates. And it does actually prevent you from slipping and sliding sideways. Right. A, a tire that is not sliding. Right. It's when not, it's pulsating, it's stopping and rolling, stop, roll, stop, right. roll in fractions of a second. And it stops that wheel from locking up and sliding. Right. And by not sliding, it preserves your ability to steer the car. It doesn't actually make it stop faster. Some people mistakenly think that it does. It'll actually won't stop any faster. It may take even a split second longer. But you will be able to maintain steering control because a sliding wheel can't be steered. If the wheels are sliding and you cut them, it's just going to slide straight. So that's more like what as far as to help you maintain steering control. But it's sort of a weird sensation if you've never experienced it. Oh, it it. is. So anyway, that's the way they work. (laughs) Let's go back to our phone lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I'm calling from Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Um, I have a question. I have a... 2006 GMC Sierra. Okay. Hybrid. Yes, sir. And it has the dual air conditioning in it. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, right. My question is, I start the car up and, and run it. The temperature gauge on the dashboard comes right up to halfway. Okay. Where it usually does. Mm-hmm. You put the heat on. The air comes out wherever it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, the floor, the vents. And the, yes, sir. The, the, the froster. But it never gets hot. You know, it's, it's like yes, sir. put the, the fan speed all the way up to high. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You can actually feel the air temperature go down. A couple of things that you need to check, Paul. First off, of course, you said the temperature gauge is reading normal. Yep, it comes up to halfway right in the middle, which is about Yeah, 10. what is most likely the case, there are a number of little motors under the dash that control the different functions. One is called a mode actuator. That controls dash, floor, defrost, and all that. One is called a temperature actuator. And what the temperature actuator does is controls the temperature of the outcoming air. The way it does that, the air comes through a channel, and there is an evaporator core to one side and a heater core to the other. One cools, one heats. This motor moves a door between the two, and it blends that air to give you the temperature that you're requesting. Now, if that door does not move, and that can happen for a number of reasons, or it doesn't move far enough, then it's not going to go through the heater core enough, and you're going to get warmish air, but you're not going to get hot air. Okay. So the first thing to do is to try to recalibrate it. And if you go on my website and just type in the word calibration in the search bar, it'll bring up the procedure for you. Pretty simple. You can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. If that does not cure the problem, then you're going to need to get it checked, and they may have to replace that 
actuator or possibly the control head is not working right. Let me ask you, Paul, have you had any weird other problems, any kind of electrical issues with the truck? Nope, nothing Nothing else. Okay. The the other thing I have noticed is one heater hose is hot, Mm -hmm. and then one heater hose is cold. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'll tell you what else is a problem on those vehicles. The heater core can actually stop up. It just gets a, a bunch of debris in it. It will stop up, and the coolant will quit flowing through it. And so even though the engine's at full temperature, it's not passing through. Now, one other additional thing that I have seen, this was just recently, someone had worked on the vehicle, and there's two heater hoses that run to the back, and there's a big engine cover over the top of the motor. Yep. Someone had taken the engine cover off, put it back down, and when it did, they pinched one of the heater hoses under the engine cover. Oh, okay. And one hose was hot and one was cold. I took the engine cover off, moved the hose, and fixed that one. So check for that. That is a problem with a 5.3 or a 6.0. That engine cover will pinch that hose if it's not done exactly right. The other is what we did on a number of them is to take two hoses off and take some sort of low-pressure air and just kind of gently blow through and blow the crud out, and they'll start working again. they got to be kind of careful because you can rupture the core if you put too much pressure on it. Right. That system is designed for no no more than 15 pounds. Right. You put 20, you know, 30 pounds on it, you're going to blow a hole in it for sure. Right. And then you're into the dash. Yeah, then you got to pull the dash out. So you got to be real careful with it, but gently, judiciously, a little bit of air in reverse direction both ways, take both hoses off, and we... We have cleared a number of those out. If you can't clear it out and you can't blow through it, then you have to replace the heater core. Okay. Now, how about this truck has an auxiliary water pump connected to the heater hose? I thought it was one of the basic uh, heater control valves. Mm-hmm. And I looked up on all data, and in my, uh, I have a factory service manual. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And it's showing an auxiliary water pump. Most has, of the time, the auxiliary water pump, Paul, is designed to flow water through the batteries to heat them to keep it to where it'll start in a cold weather situation. Most of them have an auxiliary water pump and a storage tank. This one is connected, and one heater hose comes right out of the water pump, mm-hmm. and it goes to that, that auxiliary water pump, mm-hmm. and then it goes right into the dashboard. And then the other one comes right out and goes Yeah, I think well. it's picking up a source of water there, and I may be wrong. I'm not a expert on hybrids i'd have to check with service data on it but most of the time they're picking up a source of water there and it's like i say it's used to heat the batteries if the hose is hot on the other side between the core and that auxiliary water pump Mm -hmm. then the pump then the water's getting through it right if if you're up at the core at the dash if it's hot on one side and cold on the other you've got hot water to the core right so okay. your, your, your problem probably was going to be inside the core. Yeah, so I'd try to make sure that that core is not plugged, the hose is not pinched somewhere. Right. Oh, okay. All righty. Okay. Hey, great. hang on. Let me get your name and address and stuff, and I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Dave and Daryl, hang on. You'll be up straight after this break. My way, take the highway. That's the best. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. We have an anonymous caller here from the D.C. area. You're on the air. Uh, yes, Mike. I have some serious debt issues. Okay. Let's say I'm in charge of this really big company, and we have this deficit. You know, I thought with the world ending, we'd be okay, but that didn't happen, and I need some cash. I maxed out all my credit cards, but that barely made a dent. 
Well, sounds like you need to be on a strict budget. And the first thing I tell you is to make sure you're not wasting money on big-time car repairs. Regular preventative maintenance with Agco Automotive is the key to saving money in the long run and a good way to pay off debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Any other advice? You should look into selling your house and downsizing. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Number is 499 9526. Course 225 in front of there will get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States. That is correct. And we're going back to our phone lines with Dave. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Louis. Hey, I got an 04 Dodge Dakota, 105,000 miles. Okay. Every now and then when I slow down, I smell like a burnt oil smell. Okay. It smells kind of like it's coming from under the hood, maybe? Yes. I'm going to tell you, Dave, the most common reason for that, and this isn't the only reason, but it's by far the most common, is a leaking valve cover gasket. Those valve right. covers will leak, and it runs right out the base of that valve cover right down onto the exhaust manifold. And that's almost always where that burning smell is coming from. Now, of course, any leak anywhere on the car, even an oil pan gasket can leak down on the catalytic converter, but the valve cover gaskets seem to be the most common place that they leak. But oil is getting on the exhaust somewhere is the reason you got it. And I don't know why you smell it sometimes you don't smell it other, but that's just the way it is. I guess the wind blowing in the car maybe disperses it sometimes. Sometimes it accumulates enough to where it doesn't, but... Almost all the time when we see that, Dave, particularly on that Dodge Dakota, it's the valve cover gaskets and run down exhaust. If you look real close around the edges of those exhausts, you'll see like a shiny black residue around them. And that's where the oil is getting on it and burning. You'll probably see it if you look. Okay, it wouldn't be a PVC valve, huh? No, the PCV valve may have actually created the problem initially because if the valve plugs up, it'll build back pressure in the engine. That will blow the valve cover gaskets out, but it's not going to be what you're smelling the pcv valve sucks it into the engine and burns it you, so you're okay. not gonna have any kind of smell there i never fix any kind of oil leak on any vehicle without changing a pcv valve however anytime okay. i've got an oil leak that valve's getting changed because they're cheap as dirt and they are the number one cause of gaskets to start leaking all right well, all right y'all have it checked out okay man bye-bye right, 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive i we'd love to have you and we've got Daryl on the line. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Okay, I got a 1999 Cutlass Oldsmobile. Yes, sir. 150,000 miles. Uh-huh. I recently was diagnosed with a bad alternator. I went to three different auto parts places. Mm-hmm. They put my car on a machine, and it said I had a bad alternator. Okay. So a week ago, I put this new alternator in, and the battery light coming on periodically. It is possible that I this new be oh, yeah, quite possible. It's probably not new, Dow. It's going to be a rebuilt alternator. There's hardly right, exactly any new ones. I, mean, I bought it real cheap. Yeah, yeah. Real and cheap the rebuilt stuff out there, man, the quality is just all over the board. And there's two possibilities there, Dow. One is you got another defective part, which is very common. We see, especially in aftermarket parts, roughly 40 to 50% of it's defective right out the box. Now, I agree, but I did. The other thing is you could have something like a wiring problem, like a B-terminal wire that's broken or frayed or not connecting right, in which case, see, when you go to an auto parts store, they're going to check and they can say the alternator's not putting out. Well, that's true. It's not. But, see, they don't have the wherewithal to tell you why it's not putting out. That could be something like a bad wire. In other words, if you get no charge to the field calls of the alternator, the alternator's not going to put out. 
if the PCM is not commanding the alternator, you're not going to get any output. So that's kind of the drawback. You know, you get a free diagnosis, but it's worth what you pay for it. Whereas a shop can go in and tell you why it's not. Act. So what you may have actually done is had another problem. They misdiagnosed it. You put a cheap alternator in there, and now you got now two you do problems. have an alternator problem. So yeah. You may have two problems, whereas if you get your alternator back and fix the wire, you might have been okay. But it's just kind of uh, what happens when you go that route. Well, it's still on the warranty. I just had it a week, so he just told me to bring this one in. And it, yeah, well, I, I try another one and see if it still doesn't work, and you're going to need to do something else. But you know, there are a number yes, of things that will keep an alternator from charging other than the alternator itself. And, of course, if you just got a guy in an auto parts store and he plugs a machine, he's just going to say it's not charging. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not charging, but it's not charging because the PCM is not commanding it to charge. So it's just a little bit over their heads normally. Okay, I'm going to go to plan B and get, <laughs> get this one replaced. And, uh, yeah, try to have it still on, you know, get it to someone who can do a proper job of diagnosing it. Great. All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, All thanks, right, man. Sir. Bye-bye. We're going to take our second little break, and we'll be right back with more. Robert, John, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I feel terrible. Wow, what'd you do? I maxed out all of my credit cards, bought over 200 pairs of shoes, didn't shave my legs for 60 days, and ate primarily chocolate and breathe the entire month of December. My stomach's still not quite right. Well, in addition to lots of salads, one thing I can recommend to help recoup some money is to take your car to Agco Automotive. Agco's experienced technicians provide you a quote and then stick to that price so you're never surprised by higher cost. And Agco fixes vehicles right the first time. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. So, no fruits or veggies for an entire month? Do strawberry Pop-Tarts count as fruit? No, not last time I checked. Well, welcome back. Just join us as the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. And we're going right straight back to our phone lines with Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Louis. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. On F two fifty six, had an alternator go out about six months ago. Replaced it myself. Uh-huh. Uh, lately, I'm noticing that I'm getting voltage drops uh, only when I'm up, you know, cruising on on highway speeds. Uh, uh, voltage drops down to seven and a half, sometimes uh, below eleven volts. Mm-hmm. Not having any flattering. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, Robert. I have seen that a lot with those trucks and. I think it's a defect that Ford's got in their electrical system. They seem to do that. If they've got light, the light will start flickering on. If they've got a gauge, the gauge will start dropping down. But that said, I have not seen where it seems to hurt anything. The batteries don't go dead, and you can check them, and you can change the alternator, and it keeps on doing it. I think it's a glitch in their system, but I have seen that on a number of the Ford trucks. If you're not having any type of battery issues, I mean, certainly you could bring it in and we could test it and tell you if the alternator is working properly, but we have seen that a lot, and I've gotten now to where I just don't get too alarmed about it unless they're having another issue. But like I said, the guys with the lights on, it's really annoying because that light keeps flickering in their face and they get scared about it. With a gauge, it's not quite as noticeable, but if you're you seem to be a pretty intuitive guy. You just watch that gauge. It will tend to fluctuate. I think it's a uh, software problem they've got, but you know, I can't confirm that. I hadn't seen any bulletins out for it yet, but I, it doesn't seem to hurt the truck. 
Okay. All righty. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we're going right back to our lines with John. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got that problem where my brakes uh, lock up real easy when it's moist and wet outside. Okay. What kind of car, John? It's a 2004 Ford Ranger. Okay. When it's moist or wet in the mornings, you just barely press on the brakes and they lock up. How can I get that fixed? John, you got to determine first if it's a front wheel or a back wheel that's locking up, and it's probably going to be one wheel, at least most time it is. Okay. If it is a back wheel, what you want to do, go ahead and pull the wheel off, take a look. Do you do any work yourself, John? Yes, sir. Okay, pull the wheel off and inspect it real close. Make sure one of the wheel cylinders or the grease seal in the rear is not leaking because the number one cause of that is a little bit of fluid will get on those shoes. And when that happens, it'll start locking up because it'll kind of slip and grab and you'll really get that issue. Now, if there is none of that, and let's say both back wheels are doing it, the next thing I would try is to replace the rear brake shoes, even though they've got a lot of material on them. And that is especially if it does it in the morning first thing and kind of gets better or quits doing it later in the day. Well, it does it. I mean, when I go down the road, I can do it before I get into my road. How about later on at the end of the day? Does it quit doing it? Yeah, it's only when it's wet outside. Yeah. All right. Only, and only first thing in the morning. Like Real humid. Yeah, what first. happens a lot of times, John, some of the brake material that you get is just not up to snuff, and it tends to absorb moisture overnight on a real high humidity or wet night. It'll soak moisture into that pad or that shoe, and the first couple of applications, they'll lock up. After they get hot enough, it kind of balls it out, and they quit doing it. That is pretty common. One last thing, when you look at the brakes, down at the bottom where the little adjuster is, Yes, sir. There's a hole on either side, and that hole's supposed to have a rubber plug in it. A lot of times, people will take those plugs out, or they'll dry rot and fall out. Make sure those plugs are in there, because that's going to make any situation way, way worse, because it allows the humidity and moisture to get in and create the problem. So make sure those rubber plugs are in. Check and see if it's one side or both sides. Pull the wheels, see if you're getting any foreign material on the shoes. If not, I would go ahead and replace the rear shoes, and that's if it's a rear wheel locking up, which most likely it is. I've rarely, rarely do you see the front ones do that. Okay, so it'd be a drum problem. Then. Normally it is, yes, sir. Okay. All right. Okay, man. All thanks right. for calling. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And we've got Darren on the line. Good morning, Darren. Morning. Yes, Good sir. Two thousand three Florida Forerunner. Uh huh. And I too have a oil smell. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Coming through the air conditioner vent, because if I turn on the recycle there, I know I don't get it. Yes, sir. Again, Darren, almost always that's going to be a valve cover gasket. And if you smell it through the AC, it's, it's probably leaking towards the back. And what it does, it comes up through that little crack in the hood because it's not sealed airtight. And the intake for the air conditioner plenum is right there. So it just sucks it right in and you start to smell it. That one is not as bad as like a Camry or one of the other ones that use the same engine because the motor's not sideways. It's a little easier to get out. Still big-ish. You may have to take the intake manifold off to get to them. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at the engine. just depends on the exact engine that's got it in the design. But that's almost always going to be a valve cover gasket on it. Now, again, any gasket that leaks on the engine can cause the same thing because let's say the front seal leaks and it runs down onto the catalytic converter. Well, it's going to cause the same type of an issue. But for whatever reason, valve cover gas just seem to be the most common place that they leak. If you can't find it, there's a fluorescent dye you can add to the oil, and then you can check it with a black light, and you can see where that oil is coming from. We use that technique very seldom. Yeah, because a lot of times what you'll have is so much oil that it's hard to tell where it's coming out of, and it's hard to clean it all up good enough to see. So 
like Brian said, you add a fluorescent dye to the oil, and then when you shine a black light, you'll see a big yellow spot where it's coming out. So that's just a way to narrow it out. That also caused me to be down low on oil. It could, yes, sir. If it's leaking a significant amount, you could lose some oil. Most of the time, if you're losing a lot of oil, it's not going to be a leak, simply because a leak, if you lost, say, two or three quarts of oil, it'd make a spot bigger than your truck. Most time when you're losing a significant amount of oil, the engine's actually consuming it internally, and maybe it's got two problems. You may have a leak and that, but again, if it you know, if you're not talking about a significant amount of oil, maybe a quart and three or four thousand miles, it could be due to a leak. It, you know, especially if it's leaking the whole time it's running. What some people say is, well, I don't get a big spot in my driveway, but what it does is it leaks when it runs and it doesn't leak when it doesn't run. So you don't see it so much when it's sitting still, but it's dripping when it's going down the road. Right. Yeah, because there's no spot in the driveway. Yeah, right. that could be it. Now, I'll tell you another scenario the rear main seal can do the same thing. And it can drip down the exhaust, and you'll smell it. And you really won't see too much of a leak in your driveway because normally it's got to have oil pressure on it because that is above the oil level in the pan. So once you turn it off, there's no oil pressure, and the oil level drops below the seal, you know, it's not going to leak. But when you crank it up and that rear main bearing is pressurized, it'll come out, and it'll leak pretty good, and you'll lose a fair amount of oil over it. The exhaust being as hot as it is, it'll just burn yeah. to the pipe, and it won't ever drip to the ground. Right, it'll, it'll vaporize it when it hits those pipes, particularly if it's dripping on the catalytic converter, because that thing's almost 1,000 degrees, so the oil's going to get vaporized. It's just going to make a lot of stink and smell. You might look under there and see a black spot you know, where it's been burning, but one of those deals, just got to get under it on a lift and see where the oil's coming out, and then you can generally see where it's been burning on the exhaust and kind of go up from there and spot it. All right. All righty. Hey, man, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And a lot of good calls. That's it. And, you know, those oil leaks, they they tend to come with lack of maintenance sometimes. And just sometimes you can do all the maintenance you want and the, the seals just give out. Yeah, you can get a number of things producing oil leaks. Like we alluded to earlier, a PCV valve that plugs up is going to produce a positive back pressure on the engine. It's supposed to have a slightly negative pressure on the engine. And you always get a little bit of blow-by past the rings and so on. So it can pressurize the crankcase and just a tiny, tiny amount of pressure. I mean, it's measured in inches of water, not inches of mercury because Uh it's that slight. But just a tiny positive pressure is going to blow the oil past those seals. Right. Now, another thing, if you subscribe to the theory of, well, I can go seven, eight, nine thousand miles on an oil change, what's going to happen is that the lubrication of the oil may still be there, but the stuff that keeps the seals pliable and all that's long since gone. Correct. And when those seals dry out, they get hard. Yeah, they start losing their elasticity. They get very, very hard. Most time when we get oil leak in, we take it off. That gasket is as hard as a concrete oh, yeah. sidewalk. Definitely. And there's no way it's going to seal because it's just all the old oil that's been run in it. So that's just another reason why you don't want to buy into that theory of those extended oil changes. Most of the engines we get in with real bad oil leaks have always been run with extended oil changes. Exactly. And that's just, you know, not a lecture, but just that's what happens. You're not ever is. going to save enough money on oil to pay for one of those oil oh, leaks, I can tell you. Definitely. They, they get fairly expensive to address in many cases. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How you doing? Doing Good great, morning. sir. Another day you ought to be outside. Oh, I tell you, it's beautiful out. It is that. I just got a question for you about brake pads. Okay. You almost always recommend the factory. I do. Is there any aftermarket that you'd recommend, or can you? I don't recommend any of the aftermarket products. We 
only use them in instances where we just simply cannot get the original equipment part any longer. For instance, Ford is really, really bad about discontinuing parts on fairly new cars. Ford is discontinuing parts on six-year-old cars on a regular basis now. So you may call up with a 2007 model car and not be able to get the original pad any longer. And they're big on pushing the Motocraft pad, which is an aftermarket pad. So occasionally, if we just can't get the original, we have to use aftermarket. The other day, we had an old GM-based motorhome. I think it was like a 91 model. 92. 92 model. Right. And the original part was no longer available. So we had to go with the Delco Durastop. And I'm not greatly pleased with them. Normally, when you use them, there's going to be some ramifications, but we just tell the customer it's the best we can get. Right. So I don't. And in most cases, the OEM part is not that much more expensive than the junk that you buy. In fact, in many cases on the imports, like with the Toyotas and the Hondas, the original part may actually be less expensive than some of the aftermarket junk. So I always use the OEM unless I can't get it, in which case I make it abundantly clear to the customer, hey, you may have some squeaking, you may have some squealing, you may warp a rotor, but this is all we can get. Uh, see. All righty, thank you. All right, Mr. Bruce, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, a number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Ray online. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. sir. I got a question on my 2008 Chevy Silverado. Okay, sir. Periodically, when I'm stopped at a light or stop sign or something, wait for, for keep going, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I get a tap, uh, almost like somebody bumped me from behind. Okay. And... Now, the dealer hasn't been able to find anything. Yeah, Ray, it's when you first take off, like when you first let your foot off the brake, like somebody bumped you. I can be just sitting there and my foot's still on the brake. Yes, sir. And all of a sudden, it'll... Yeah, I'm going to tell you the most common thing for that, Ray. The drive shaft splines will make that noise. And if the dealer tells you you can't find it, he's lying to you because the revised yoke for that problem, a nickel-plated yoke that GM has produced, are you still under warranty? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, that was should be covered under your warranty, under your powertrain warranty. The, what happens is that when you stop the truck, the rear wheels are trying to stop, the body's trying to move. So the drive shaft is going to plunge into the back of the transmission, and it's designed to do that. There's some splines that allow it to move in and out about two inches or so. That's what it's supposed to do. But when those splines get dry, that shaft will go in, it will stick. And then when you're sitting there, the pressure of the springs inevitably are going to just boom, pull it back out, and it's going to feel like somebody bumped you from the back. You can pull it out, you can lubricate it with a synthetic grease, and it will go away for a while. Eventually it comes back because it pushes the grease out. But GM has got a new spline. It's a nickel-plated yoke. And I don't think I would buy one if I had to pay for it, but if it was under warranty, I'd sure insist that it gets put on and you got to be careful, too, because some of them knuckleheads will beat your drive shaft up trying to change it because they don't know how to change a U-joint. But you want to be careful about that. Make sure you don't have any vibrations you didn't have before after they change it because I've seen them beat a drive shaft up trying to change it. But it'd be nice to give you the part and let you put it in yourself, but they usually don't do that. But, yeah, that's almost always what that's going to be. Go to my website and just type in the word clunk on the search bar, and it'll bring up an article and show you pictures and everything. I'm sorry, man, you broke up. If you didn't get a complete answer, just go ahead and hit me on email, and I'll get you some more information. Go to the website and hit the contact button. Send me an email. I'll get you some more information on it. That address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. That's right. Go and look around. And you can always send me an email, and I'll be sure to get an answer back to you, real complete information. So that's a good way to do it. And we've got to take a quick little break. We'll be back on more just a second.
Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I really thought the world was going to end. So what did you do? You see, Mike, I quit work and streaked through the cafeteria. I maxed out my credit cards, my grass is waist high, and I can't find my dog. I think the line I bought might have eaten him. And my car won't run. Hmm. Well, first, take your car into Agco Automotive so it'll get fixed right the first time. Then, take it in for regular maintenance to save money in the long run by keeping your car in good shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, Mike, there is one more thing. My neighbor DVR C-SPAN, and I promised I'd spend Sunday afternoons watching it with him. Now... I wish the world really would end. Sorry, uh, can't help you there, buddy. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our co-pilot, Mr. Brian Terry, right here on the side. So between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we've got Bill's been patiently holding. Good morning, Bill. Yeah, a question for you, Lewis. Sure. 2010 Wrangler. Uh-huh. 3.8. Yes, sir. Have you heard problems with those things using oil? Bill, I hear problems pretty much on a daily basis of almost all the new cars using oil. Okay, well, I'm, and I'm at 10. How much oil are you talking about? I have to put a quart in at 1500 and it'll be a quart low when I get changed at 3000 Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, if you go back to Jeep and tell them that, they're going to tell you that's normal. Right, they will. They have done it. And oh, yeah. I just want to know, is this a long-term thing? Is it yeah, oh, yeah, it's not going to get better. It's no. going to get worse in time, but it's just the way they're fitting these new engines. That is not uncommon. In fact, I've seen a quart in every 500 miles, and them try to wow. tell you it's normal. It's just, wow. in my opinion, it's a sorry job they're doing fitting them. They'll tell you, oh, it's the way they work. I said, wait, wait a minute. Piston engine ain't yeah. changed significantly in the last hundred years. Right. If, if it never did it before, why is it doing it now? You know, with all this great technology you got, you can't make an engine that doesn't burn oil? Right. I keep it or get rid of it? <laughs> I guess a lot of people just keep putting oil in it. I mean, that's, I guess, what I'd do if I was saddled with it, but... The problem is, if you get rid of it, what else are you going to get? You know? Well, that's <laughs> I mean, unless you want to go buy a 2006 model or something, you know, that doesn't burn all. But go I, back to the old straight six. Yeah, yeah. There's not a whole, whole bunch you could be able to do about it easily. I mean, you could have it checked and make sure you don't have some positive crankcase pressure or something like that. You know, something like a bad PCV valve will make it worse. Nah, make sure, you, yeah, make sure. New. Make sure you're using the right oil in it and stuff. Yeah. You know, if, uh, if it calls for 0W20, you want 0W20. Right. You don't want 10W30, nothing like that. But if you're doing everything you're supposed to do and it's using oil, that's just pretty much what it's going to do. Just, live with it. Man, I hear that so much. I mean, people are coming in with 12s and 13s that are using a quart and a thousand, and the dealer won't do anything about it. Okay, good. Hey, look, I appreciate you on the Internet, man. You tipped me off the other day on one on the van with a, with the air duct not working right. Okay. And sure enough, man, I open up the hood on that thing, and there's a collapsed hose in that thing. Looks like a flat ribbon. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I guarantee you. <laughs> hey, look, I appreciate your show, guys. All right, Bill, All right, thanks for calling, man. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I we'd love to have you. And we've got David's online. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you doing, fellas? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. I got a '07 Honda Odyssey, uh-huh. and. When I first start up in the morning, the engine makes a noise, and as it warms up a little bit, it stops making it. And it also, I've noticed 
the the power steering makes this more of a squealing noise early also. Yes, sir. If it's not a cold morning, I don't have that problem hardly at all. David, I tell you, the first thing I would check is make sure that all the belts on there look good and that they're all Honda belts and that they're all properly tightened. Because what most of the noise on a Honda, see, a Honda doesn't use a belt tensioner on their older vehicles. They actually have adjustable belts. And if that belt's just a little bit loose, you'll get a squeal when it's cold because it's hard when it's cold. And when it heats up a little bit, it starts to grip a little better, so the noise may go away. But we fix an awful lot of those noises like that just by either tightening the belts or if it's got aftermarket belts, taking them off and going buy Honda belts and putting on because aftermarket belts just don't fit just right. And they are notorious for making those kinds of noises. Okay. Well, I can check that, but... As the power steering thing, you know, as I turn the wheel, you hear, uh, yeah. I'm going to tell you what that normally is. Yeah, normally what that is, David, is that it's drawing some air in where the two lines go into the power steering pump. There's two O rings, and you can buy those O rings from Honda for about 80, 90 cents a piece. They're real cheap. And they're not hard to change. If you're fairly handy, you could probably do it yourself. If not, it's hardly any labor in the shop to do it. But we change those O-rings all the time. They just dry out, and they won't leak externally, but what they'll do is they'll draw air in. When they aerate the fluid, it'll start that whining. You get that whining noise. That's almost always a problem with that. This only does it early when it's cold. Well, Later in the day, it doesn't do it at all. If it's doing it more when it's cold, what I would probably lean more to then would be maybe change the fluid in it. The fluid may be breaking down. And that, okay. again, is something pretty easy to do. Go on my website and just type in power steering fluid in the search bar. It's going to bring up an order that tells you how to change that fluid yourself. I would start with that and make sure you use the Honda power steering fluid. They've got their own fluid, and right. nothing That's else will work. But, yeah, try that. Make sure that there's not a leak somewhere and the fluid level's a little low. But check those things, and if it persists, I'd probably go ahead and change those two O-rings just because they're real easy, and 90% of your noise is from that. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, guys. man. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we going back to our lines with Michael. Good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, fellas. Yes, morning. I'm thinking about buying a used car, and I'm thinking about maybe a mid-sized SUV. But All I right, know sir. zero about those things. I was wondering if y'all might have any recommendations on something to look at. Michael, most of the SUVs were pretty decent, in my opinion, up to about 2006 or so. The ones built after that, not so much, especially talking about domestic vehicles. They really sort of took a nosedive after 07. When they started going bankrupt, they started using cheaper vendors and putting a lot more technology on them. We just see a lot of trouble with the newer stuff. But if you're buying something pre-06, Almost all of them are pretty decent. You know, Tahoe's were decent. The, oh, I don't know, the Ford Explorer was not a bad vehicle, so on and so forth. If you wanted something a little newer, I would probably look at either the Toyota or the Honda or the Acura or the Lexus products. Those have a lot less problems in the later models. I'm not saying they're not without problems, but they have a lot less problems right. than the other stuff. Now, the, the Acura and the Lexus are going to have more bells and whistles on right, them Right, than a Honda or a Toyota would. Correct. So you, you need to take that into account, too, as to when it breaks... What it's going to cost to get it cost more to fix. fix. That's what I'm really interested more in maintenance number one, and then maybe fuel economy number two, and then uh, everything else after that. You know? Yes, right. sir, I understand. Right. And I tell you, you might just go on my website, and there's an article how to buy a used car, and just kind of peruse through there. It'll give you a bunch of good tips. All right. Well, I'll do that. And I want to listen to y'all a little bit earlier talking about that fellow had that clunk mm-hmm. right. off from a red light. I got the same problem. So y'all give me something to look at. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
right, thank you. Thanks, man. Right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526, number if you want to part of the automotive hour. If you listen to what we're saying today, how many times we said if you go to the website, you're going to find da-da-da-da. Correct. And it's just that website is an accumulation of all the years of things we've done. Almost every time we get a call, I add information to the website that covers it. Right. That is free, unbiased information that you're welcome to go through and peruse and take some learning from it. That's right. And there's several different search functions. And we just added a site map to uh-huh. the site, which will make it even easier. Because the site has gotten so large, it's hard to go through the menu selections and find everything you want. So if right. you click on site map, it brings up sort of a tree-type structure and, and kind of segregates things into categories for it. It makes it a little bit easier to find it. And when you're on there, go to the detailed topic section because that's where a lot of the information is. I put one on there this morning on ethanol fuel. Uh-huh. And ethanol is one of those things that it's being forced down our throat. It is, <laughs> and it's a very politically charged idea. When you start talking about ethanol, people get real mad real fast. But right. it's not without benefit. It's not all bad, but it's not all good. So what this article does is it tells you some things you can do uh-huh. to prevent having problems. And again, you can say, oh, well, they shouldn't have it. Well, okay, that's, well, that's, a lot. that's another situation. You know, exactly. that's, that's a political situation. We can't do anything with that. But if you got an older car and you need to know what things you want to do, particularly if you got like a classic car, this tells you some things you can do to protect that. Uh huh. And there are just a number of things. So pop on there. It says the name of the article is Ethanol Fuel, Good or Bad. And I tried to keep it unbiased. I didn't want to take the tack that, hey, this is the worst thing since the devil or this is the greatest thing right. going. It's, it's just a good middle-of-the-road thing with a lot of information, not on should we have it or shouldn't we have it or if it's economically feasible or not. It's it just tells you it, how to deal with it. That, since we got it. And that's something that's pretty rare when you start looking for information. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Roy. Good morning, Roy. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I have a 95 Ford Taurus. Okay. Is there an accurate way to check the fluid level in the transmission? Yes, sir. Dipstick? Yes, sir, absolutely, Roy. Go to the website and just type in something like check transmission fluid. There's an article in there that will give you pictures and everything. It gives you complete instructions. It's kind of involved, but it has to be basically, it has to be on level ground. That's really important. It has to be at full operating temperature. It has to be running when you do it in park. And what you have to do is pull the stick, dry it off, put it back, take it out and read it again. And what's the most important thing of all, you have to read both sides of the stick, and the lowest reading is the correct reading. In other words, it can be full on one side and a quart low on the other side. It's a quart low. Lewis, so you can't do it with the engine cold, right? No. no it has sir. to be at full operating temperature. It has to be perfectly level. If it's right. leaning like in your driveway or something, it's going to give you the wrong reading. Right. Okay. I'll Alrighty. do that. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Right, thank sir. you. I'm sorry. i got Glenda and Jim on hold. We're just not going to be able to get to you today. But if you guys send me an email, I'll be glad to get an answer back to you. Or you can call again next week. Right. You can go to the website, www.agcoauto.com. Send a Lewis a Email and get your questions answered right away. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Agco Auto stands for Altazan's Garage Company, just in case you didn't know. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate that, and that helps move us up in the rating so more people can get the information. That's right. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great week. Yeah.